So John 21, starting from verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread amongst the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that. He said he would not, uh, Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. He, we know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. 
If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Amen. As Ronnie said, we've been thinking about Easter. The last two weeks we've been focused on Easter, haven't we? Two weeks ago we thought about the triumphal entry of Jesus. We were thinking about Jesus as king. And last weekend there was communion and Friday as we gathered around the cross of Jesus. And then we had the wonderful uh, thought of uh, the resurrection on the Sunday. And we had the importance of that to the Christian faith. And as Ronnie says, we're, we're now past that in this passage in, in John. Um, in John's gospel, I want to just go back to what Ronnie shared earlier. Um, that uh, at the end of chapter 20, uh, John shared these words about what he'd written down. Um, they might come up in a minute. Anyway, you, you heard them. You, Ronnie shared them with you. And he was writing to say that he was writing these things down so that you may believe, so that you may have life in Jesus' name. And in a sense, what John was doing in that moment was he was explaining his purpose for writing this gospel. And actually, when we get to the um, sorry, at the end of this chapter, um, he says something very similar. And he talks about how he did, Jesus did many more things. He says that in both times. And he said, if I wrote them all down, then even the world couldn't contain it. So I think you get something of the flavor of what John's trying to do in his gospel. That he's seen so much, he's experienced so much, he's heard so much, he's spent so much time with Jesus, that if he talked about it all, it would be too much. And so what we have, I think, in John's gospel is what God has laid on his heart, the things that he wants to share with us, that we might believe, that we might have life in Jesus' name. His purpose is to to bring us to a point where we recognize who Jesus is. So what is it John shares in his gospel? Well, right at the start, he claims the deity of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And he, he talks about the humanity of Jesus. The Word became flesh. And then we have uh, elements of life with Jesus, uh, his teaching and things. And it takes us through to the cross and to the resurrection and beyond, and, and that's where we are now. And when we come to this particular chapter, we could spend time talking about the miraculous catch of fish. We could talk about Peter's um, uh, reinstatement. Sorry, Ronnie, that's not what we're doing this morning. Um, but we could spend a whole time talking about that, or talking about John and who John is, and, and about his his place to be a, a witness. And, you know, there's all these things that we could talk about from this passage. But, you know, when I read this chapter a couple of weeks ago, um, with today in mind, the thing that struck me and would not let me go, that this is essentially an encounter with Jesus. 
It may seem obvious it's an encounter with Jesus. It's not the first encounter, obviously, that the, the disciples have had with Jesus. They've spent a lot of time with him. It's not even the first encounter, as we, as we heard in the reading, after the resurrection. This is the third time that Jesus appears. But every encounter with Jesus is important. Every encounter with Jesus is significant. It matters. And not just for the disciples, but every encounter that we have with Jesus, we have had encounters. You might not like to see them like that, as that. And we will have encounters with Jesus. And everyone is important. And everyone is significant. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about three aspects of an encounter with Jesus that we, we can see evidenced in this particular chapter. And these are recognition, the response, and the relationship. Recognition, response, relationship. You see, we need to recognize who Jesus is. We read that early in this chapter that Jesus is standing on the shore and they don't realize that it's Jesus. Perhaps it's a distance, perhaps it's a light, um, but they don't recognize it as Jesus. But actually when we read in verse 12, when they are invited to come for breakfast and they're closer than in that light and distance, we read these words that they didn't ask who he was because they knew. And I found that a little bit Strange, and I think it's to do with Jesus' appearance. And I just wonder if Jesus' appearance was so changed following the crucifixion. I mean, we often talk about uh, the the resurrected body of Jesus and seeing the the marks on his hands and and the marks on his side. Why would he not be carrying the marks of the dreadful beating that he had? You know, the crucifixion. For Jesus was much more in that moment that he hung on the cross. That's the bit that really matters to us. But his treatment before that was horrendous. These thorns, the beating around the head. So perhaps it was hard to recognize them. But they knew. They knew who it was. And I wonder if they knew who it was because of something familiar. Perhaps his voice. Perhaps his demeanor, his authority. Um, Perhaps it was the fish. When he asked, when he said, cast your nets in, and they hadn't caught fish before, but they caught them this time. And their minds would go back to the time when Jesus did that before. Some of those disciples there were present at that time. And I'm sure those that weren't will know about it. I I just have this picture of the disciples spending so much time together that they would have been conversations. Remember, even if they weren't listening to Jesus, they were sent out in twos and they would have talked. And I I would imagine them sharing their testimony. So perhaps it was this familiar thing. You know, Jesus was recognized through some familiar things at this time. If you think of Mary at the tomb, she thought it was a gardener. But when he said Mary, perhaps it was his voice. Perhaps it was how he used her name. Or the two in the road to Emmaus. You know, they spend time with him. They're, They're amazed at what they hear from him. Um, but their eyes are open to who he is when he breaks bread for them. Or Thomas. Thomas really claims to accept who Christ is when he's invited to put the hand in his wounds. Jesus speaks to them in a particular way that they know who he is. And he speaks to us 
today that we might know who he is. I think that, um, you know, if you open your Bibles and you read about Jesus and he's a character on a page and you're inspired by his teaching, perhaps you're inspired by his character, perhaps you see him as, as an example that you would like to follow. Uh, in some ways you, you see Jesus. But do you really recognize him? It's John who says, it is the Lord. John sees Jesus and recognizes who Jesus is. And he says, it is the Lord. And I wonder if that's your reaction today. It is the Lord. Or if it's something less. You'll remember that Jesus had a a, a conversation with his disciples. And he said, who do people say I am? And he said, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say uh, one of the prophets. There was a sense of people understanding that Jesus wasn't just somebody ordinary, but they weren't recognizing him. They didn't fully understand who he was. And he asked the disciples, who do you say I am? And he said, you are the Messiah. There was a, a dawning of recognition. I don't think it's his full recognition of Jesus. We've got the benefit of hindsight that they didn't have. And we, as we read on in the scriptures, we realize they weren't quite seeing the Messiah as, as the Messiah that God had brought for them. But at that point, there's a dawning of recognition. You are the Messiah. So who do you say this morning Jesus is? Who do you recognize Jesus as? If Jesus were to say to you this morning, who do you say I am? Would you say, well, a good man, a good teacher, a a character from history? Perhaps you would even say nobody. There are people who would deny uh, anything about Jesus. Or would you be people who would say he's the Messiah? He's the Savior. He's the King. He's the Lord. And even go as far to say he is my Savior, my Lord, my King. We need to recognize Jesus for who he is. You know, recognizing him as just a character of history is not enough. Recognizing him as a good teacher is not enough. We need to recognize Jesus for who he truly is. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the savior. And he's king. He is Lord. But when we recognize Jesus, demands a response. If John was the first to proclaim recognition, Peter is the first to respond. He's out that boat and as fast as he can. So eager. Perhaps it was he was just so eager to be where Jesus is. Is that your experience? Are you eager to be where Jesus is? Are you eager to be with him? Are you eager to spend time with him? Perhaps there's a bit of competitiveness actually in, in Peter that he wanted to be first there. Perhaps just to have a few moments given what we were thinking about his denial. He maybe just wanted a quiet moment with Jesus. He would get that. Um, or perhaps he just wanted to get there before John. He knew John was faster. John outstripped him to the, the tomb. Um, so perhaps he wanted to be there first. And he jumps out of the boat. He's away before anybody else can react. 
And he pulls on his outer. So even in this eagerness, even in this uh, quick reaction, he pulls on his outer garments. And I just wonder if in those moments Peter still had some uh, respect for protocol where you're going to greet somebody, you made sure you were appropriately attired. Or I wonder if he thought, I'll not get wet because I'll, I'll fix my eyes on Jesus. I've done it before. I'll walk in the water. Well, who knows? He, he heads out. Only God knows the heart of Peter at that time. Uh, but one thing is for sure. He responded to knowing that it was the Lord. Of course, the others also respond when he says, come and have breakfast. Um, they do. And, and actually, when you look at Scripture, there are lots of invitations. There's, for example, come all who are weary and I will give you rest. What a, a beautiful picture that is of Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. An invitation. Do we come to Jesus in our need? He advised people to come who are thirsty. Drink of the water of life, he says. And, and where he's talking here, he's talking about the Spirit. He said, come. Come in your need. Come to me. Or uh, in the, uh, when we think about the, the father saying and, and the picture that Jesus gives us of the sheep and the goats and he says, come you who are blessed and take up your inheritance. You see, these, these we can look at where these uh, invitations are. We can look at who they're spoken to. But as John says, I've written these things that you might believe. And these invitations are for us also. And one of the recurring invitations, and, and we had it wonderfully shared in the, in the children's talk, is follow me. And it says, he says it to Peter twice here, follow me. But throughout uh, the Gospels, we read of Jesus saying, come, follow me. And not everybody responds by doing that. We can think of the rich young man who didn't really fully recognize who Jesus was, I think, but thought there was something to be gained and... When Jesus said, well, go and sell everything and follow me. And uh, it was too much. Uh, So not everybody chooses to follow Jesus. And it's the same today. There are people who will respond to Jesus by seeking to follow him. And those who will turn away. And they might not think they're turning away sad like that young man was. But that will follow. So it says, follow me. What's your response to Jesus today. The first response that we will ever make to Jesus is coming to the cross. We, we can't respond in following him truly unless we respond to that invitation to come to the cross. You know, if we, as John says here about salvation, is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to uh, mankind by by which we must be saved. I love that imperative there. We must be saved. That invitation is for us to come recognizing we're sinners, repenting of those sins, knowing that Jesus has paid the price for them on the cross. He's paid the penalty. He's borne the wrath of the Father on our behalf. And all we have to do is to come and accept that he's done for that and come in faith and make him our Savior, make Him our Lord. 
Now, I know that most people in this room and many people that are, are tuning in, if there are people tuning in today, have done that. They've taken that step. But I say to you, if you haven't, you need to. You must be saved. Otherwise, you're lost. You might not appreciate that, but I say it lovingly, you're lost. You must be saved. But response to Jesus goes beyond that as well, doesn't it? You know, the story doesn't end with us coming to accept Christ as our Savior and then sitting back and say, that's fine, I'll just wait for the glory now. We are called to do the works that Jesus, uh, God has called us to do. He's prepared in advance for us. And Paul, writing here to the Ephesians, recognizes by grace we're saved. It's not by works, it's by grace. It's by what Jesus has done for us, the grace and the mercy of God. But he also says that when we come to Christ, we are created in Christ. We're new creations. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Are you doing the good works that God has called you to? In Christ, are you responding to him And these, are you using the gifts that he's given you? What is your response today? Well, you're here. Um, So there is some response. It's a good thing to do is to come to church, that you want to be part of church, you want to be involved in church, that you want to hear God's word, that you want to sing praise. It's great. That's a good response. But what about your response tomorrow? And the next day, and the next day, and some weeks after this, what is your response? We're called to do good works. I don't know what the calling in on our, everybody's life is. That will be different for all of us. Some are called in a way that it's a complete upheaval of their life as they're maybe called out to, to the mission field. And for many of us, uh, we might feel, well, that's a real calling. What about us? Well, it's just as real, the calling to daily share an encouragement with others, to daily offer acts of compassion, to daily draw closer to Jesus, that we might show his love to others. There's a call in our lives, and we need to respond to that call. Is that your response today? And do you do? Do we respond to Jesus out of a sense of duty? Um, Perhaps we do, and it's not always completely wrong to do that. But our response should be one that recognizes the relationship that we're called into with God in Christ. It should be one of love for Him. It should be one of seeking to glorify God. Again, Paul talks about this, about this relationship that we have, that we are adopted into God's family, that we are brothers and sisters together in God's family. And what a a wonderful thing this is, that we get to come to God Almighty and call him Father. I just find that mind-blowing. I I really do. I find that mind-blowing. And I've said this before. It's just uncanny. It's amazing that we can do that. But that's the relationship that we have with God through Jesus 
Christ. And he says that if we are children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Talks here of this inheritance that is ours. But I don't know what kind of suffering it might call us to. Um, perhaps not. some of us have never really known that, but perhaps one day we will. But we share in that in order that we may also share in his glory. And that's what we're called to in our relationship with God in Christ. Now, some people would like to talk about uh, Jesus' relationship with the church. And, you know, it's true that there is a relationship between the church and Jesus, isn't there? Because the church is his body of which he is the head. So there's clearly a relationship between the church. But the church is us. It's not a building. And it's not simply us all together. The church is you and you and you and you and me and you and you in a congregation together as part of Christ's body drawn together. So we're not saved because we go to church. We're not saved because we're in a Christian family. We're not saved because we associate with other Christians and that we emulate the kind of lifestyle that they do. We're not saved by that. Salvation comes only in the name of Jesus as we come to the cross and accept that he died for our sins. But nor are we responding to Jesus by being part of a church and sitting back and letting others do the work. You know, that's that, you know, that, that we're not blessed because everybody else does everything else. The relationship is personal. And in fact, Paul again, turning to his writings, he, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, but Christ lives in me. He doesn't say he lives in me and other apostles. He doesn't say he lives in the church. He doesn't say he uh, lives in me and my friends. He says he lives in me. And each of us needs to grasp this. It's a relationship with you that Jesus has. And he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I wonder if that's your response today. You know, when Peter was reinstated, he was given a, a role to do. He was given a calling. Um, he said, feed my sheep. And this was a specific calling to Peter. And, and in that calling, he, he, he gets a little picture of what lies ahead of him. And it's, it's not pretty, but he'll go that, that suffering to share in the glory with Jesus. It's a hugely intimate, personal moment that, that Peter has with Jesus here. And you'd think, you'd think, wouldn't you, that he would just be so in that moment and so focused on Jesus. And yet he turns his head to the other disciple who is following Here's John, and he says, what about him? And Jesus responds effectively as well, what's that to do with you, Peter? I'm, I'm talking to you. This is about you. This is about your relationship with me. I'll have something for John. I know about John. It's not your business, really. 
And we need to make sure that we are not looking to others and saying, well, what about them? Your question is, what about me? Now, I say that in a sense that it's, it's so easy to look at perhaps other people in the church, whether it's a local church here or elsewhere, and say, wow, aren't they doing great things? I, I want to be like them. I want to... I want to be able to remember a sermon from 20 years ago like Andy Bathgate can. I, I want to be able to do hospitality like, like they do. It's good to be encouraged by others. It's good to learn from others. It's good to uh, watch and, and model ourselves to some degree and on the, the life that, that somebody who's living faithfully for God is, is living. But this is about our relationship with Jesus. His calling on your life might be completely different. And you're not given the gifts to do what somebody else is doing. Your gifts are specific to you. You can support in activity or prayer for as other people are in a ministry. So folk that are really good at youth work or children's work, we, we support them in prayer, don't we? Or we, we help them out where, where they need but that's not for you. You'll know if you're listening to God, listening to Jesus, you look for his calling. But it's also completely wrong to be sitting here at any point saying, you know, I do this and I do that. In fact, my whole life out with work is taken up by the church. I'm just busy doing everything. And what are they doing? Well, what's that to you? This is about you and Jesus not about everybody else. We can encourage one another. We can support one another. But we're not here to envy one another or to judge one another. And just on finishing on relationship, I just want to think a little bit about John here. He he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And does that make you think that John thought of himself as the only disciple that Jesus loved? I don't think so. Does he mean that, you know, Jesus really loves me more than the rest? Now, I've had their moments of kind of juggling for position, but I don't think that's what John's saying at this point in time at all. So he also talks of himself as the other disciple. And I think that that John is reflecting his relationship with Jesus. He said, when I look at me, I know I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. And I think John would have been legitimately content with looking at Peter and saying, Peter's the disciple that Jesus loved. Or Andrew, Andrew's the disciple that Jesus loved. I think he recognizes just that his privileged situation, his privileged position in Christ, And I think he purposely takes his name out, but whether he calls himself this or not, it's intentional that he doesn't mention his name. He mentions the name of the others because we have to capture the the moments and the events and the understanding of what he's sharing with us. But he doesn't use his own name, and I think that's because he thinks that's not important. What's more important is his identity in Christ. You know, our identity in Christ, when, we, when we've come to the cross, when we've accepted Christ as our Savior, our identity in Him is far more important 
than our identity in this world. It's far more important than our birth name. You know, I was thinking of a very unlikely scenario that suppose somewhere somebody is talking to somebody else. You catch the detail of this. He's talking to somebody else and they said, you know, I came across a guy um, at Fernhill. Oh, boy, does he love the Lord. And the Lord loves him. What a relationship. What a servant of Christ he is. What an amazing example of somebody who's fallen Jesus is. I, I can't remember his name. Well, it's me. Well, it wouldn't be. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But what a testimony that would be. What a great testimony that would be. How much greater it would be than somebody saying to somebody else somewhere else, I came across that, Dave. Nothing. <laughs> you, know, you know, and I think that's where John's at. He's, he's putting himself in Christ. And that's where we see this, that he's the other disciple. He's the disciple that Jesus loved. It's an encounter with Jesus. We see that it involves recognition. It involves response. It involves relationship. Do you recognize who Jesus truly is? Do you recognize him as Savior, as King, as Lord, as the Son of God who came to be the Savior of the world? Is that how you recognize Jesus? Or is he just another person from history? We need to recognize him for who he truly is. And when we recognize him, are we responding to that? You know, when we recognize that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world, he does that person by person, and it needs your response. If you haven't accepted that Jesus Christ died on your behalf, then you need to do that. You must do that, or you will be lost. And if we have taken that step, are we, are we responding to his call in the life? Are we using our gifts to serve him in Fernie Hill, uh, without, out with Fernie Hill, in, in wider ministry, in, uh, amongst our neighbors, amongst our friends? How are we responding to Jesus? Daily we should be looking to Jesus and say, what do you have for me today, Jesus? And we do that because we love him. And we love him because he first loved us. We are drawn into God's family. What a privileged and blessed status that we enjoy as new creations made, made in Christ. That we might love him, that we might serve him, that we might be obedient to him, that we might make him Lord, that we might make him king in our lives. And that we might be people who will just do whatever he calls us to do. Are we going to respond to Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior? Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we've, we've thought this morning about some things that are very familiar to us, um, but we remain no less challenged when you speak to us through your word. Uh, daily you, you will share with us. And Father, we pray that we would be people that 
recognize Jesus, that he's the one who died on a cross for us, that we might be saved. And Father, that we are brought into a relationship through him with you, to, to think that even now he intercedes on our behalf, that our sins, uh, as many as they might be, are not remembered as God looks on him rather than us, that we are clothed in his righteousness. What a a wonderful privilege we have in that relationship that we are given in Christ. Lord, help us not to take that lightly. Father, we should find joy in that. We should feel blessed in it. But Father, we should feel challenged in it too. Father, we pray that daily we would take up our cross and follow you, that daily we would look to your guidance in our lives, that daily we would respond to that guidance, that we might serve you better, that we might walk more closely with you in our lives. Father, we just thank you for our time uh, considering this passage, and I pray that uh, regardless of anything that I've said, that, that you would you would take that away if it's in the way of what you have said to people in your and through your word this morning. And we pray that we might know your blessing as we part later in Jesus' name. Amen.